um, because we've been receiving a lot of comments that uh, you guys don't have enough friends on Facebook, and so if I could do a series that would add to that, um, that would be helpful. Uh, obviously, obviously kidding, uh, but we do live in a landscape that's kind of unique. Um, friends are not unique. We've had friends for centuries. That's a, that's a common thing, but like the the limited, the expansiveness of the internet and the, the advent of social media and the fact that you can have, that you would call acquaintances friends now uh, and, and you have like this insight into their life, you can follow them, you see them, you know what's going on in their life even though you, you know, never talk to each other or haven't seen each other since high school. Um, there's pluses and, and cons to that and I'm not here to like disparage or promote the ideals of Facebook. I'm, I'm here to talk about friendship uh, a little bit. And the overall point of the series is really, hopefully, to get us to uh, move towards people that we would typically be tempted to avoid. So I'm, the, I'm just giving you, uh, giving away my premise uh, here at the beginning. I, I, I'm going to like walk through some people groups that um, we, we typically are attracted to people that we that look like us, drive like us, um, vote like us, um, go to the same church that we do, uh, very much uh, in line with a lot of the things that we are already in line with, which is, which is great. And that's going to be a natural thing. And actually, I'm going to address that today specifically. Uh, but then to just be isolated by that and to not have any sort of any sort of motivation to reach beyond that, it, 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 we know it's limiting. We know that we're not diverse enough in our friendship. We know that we're not uh, trying. We, sh- we need to try harder in, in, in a few things and learn the art of befriending people who are nothing like us. So that's going to be the overall target and tra- trajectory of the series. I knew uh, going into this, I've always wanted to do one of my favorite books by my, one of my favorite authors is a guy named C.S. Lewis. He wrote a book that my kid is named after, one of my kids is named after him, um, called The Four Loves. Um, and in it, he talks about how the Greek language has four different words to describe the word love, because we love things differently. Uh, the, the limitations of the English language is that you can say, I love cheeseburgers, and you're like, I love my kids. And obviously, we know that those are two different things, and that there's a different type of love, but it's the same word. Um, and so that can be very confusing, um, because that's not a healthy, eh, it's, it's just a limited vocabulary. So uh, in the Greek language, uh, there are four different ways that you love, love people. And he goes through, and I'm not going to give you the Greek ones. You can buy the book yourself. I'm not going to help you out that much. But I define them in English terms for you, okay? So basically, the first one is eros. And, and I, I did kind of give you this one because this is, this is, you know, this is like the romantic type of love. Like when you say, I love you, babe, right? That's, um, that's that. Or you stand in front of a bunch of people, and you're all dressed up in really nice clothes. And there's a minister like me standing before you. And we're going to sign some paperwork in a little bit. And you begin to talk about your love through the personal value. That's great. All right, uh, moving on. Affection, we know that one. Uh, that's a different series. Come back in February, we'll do a series on Eros, okay? Um, affection is the love that you have um, towards caring for other people. So like typically your kids, like you care. I, I love my kids, which means I provide for them and I, uh, and I love my parents because they provided, you know, they reared me, that kind of thing. So affection in that way, right? Uh, friendship, we're gonna spend some time here today. I think we're all kind of on board with friendship. And the last one he, he calls charity in the book. Um, but charity feels like a place of power. It feels like I'm doing you a service to, to like you. Or, um, it's not really the greatest word. I, I think it was great in the 60s when he wrote the book, but today we would say um, just general kindness. Um, so liking people or loving them in, in a way that uh, I think is most commonly used in why can't we all just love each other? You know what I mean? 
when, when, when people post that on, on Twitter and they're trying to get likes and, I don't know, they're trying to be progressive or whatever, um, then I really don't think they mean this, right? Um, because they don't live in Utah. And there's other thing. No, I'm just kidding. <laughs> joke. Bad joke. Terrible joke. It will, not make, it will not make second service, the one that goes online. You get that. You, that's special for you for first service. That's all it is. I, I don't mean affection. Like, you can't. Listen, you cannot love everybody in the same way that you love your kids. Like, it's just not possible. You cannot care for them and provide for them. Because that's a lot of times, there's like a gift love associated with affection. Not just like always, like, um, like I, I brought you something home from my travels. But like, I'm, I'm giving, there's a, there's a giving associated with that kind of love. Like, you just can't, you're just not materially wealthy enough to do that. Nor would it, it would be weird if, if you were like a gift lover of everybody, all right? Um, and then friendship too, like, you know this. Like, if I was to do a series where I would say, you should love everybody, you would, you would know not to internalize that as everybody must be your friend. Because that's impossible. You cannot be friends and I don't think you're even called to be, be friends. See, the problem with it is that we've, we've so loosened the term friend because I have 700 friends on Facebook. You don't, okay? You don't. You probably have 30, and then you have 670 acquaintances that you are called to be kind to. That's different than this, okay? Friends, and, and, uh, that's, th- th- there's a significant difference there. So before I go into a series really on kindness, I wanted to spend a week on the significance of this because I think this, this one is super important. And, I, and to do it, I think, will then explain the difference between what I'm asking you to do and then, because if it can feel impossible if I'm like, hey guys, we should be, uh, you should befriend everybody that you meet um, or, or you should befriend people who are not like you. There is a you cannot force this. You know this. The, the people who are so desperately trying to make friends don't understand how making friends work. You, you, it's, it's so hard to force it, and you know when people are. You know what I mean? Have you ever shown up at a group, and you can tell somebody is just, they're so lonely, and they want to be your friend, and you're like, I want to be this to you. I'm, I, I'm, I feel obligated to be this to you, but I, I don't know that I have enough space in my life. And it sounds so harsh to say that, but you can't even be friends with everybody in this church, okay? Um, there, there, you, I want all of us to be kind, and I, I, want, to, I want to be uh, the f- most friendliest place when you're coming in. I want people to, to find this here, and maybe even this if you're single. We're working on it, all right? But, <laughs> but listen, yeah, it's not working. <laughs> for everybody who it's not working for, meet me up here afterwards. I'll have everybody else meet up me afterwards. Let's do a quick speed dating thing. We'll get this thing over with. All right. This is so great. This is so great. Maybe we will post first service online. We'll see. All right. 
you, you can't get here with everybody. You shouldn't get there with everybody, okay? <laughs> you, you can't get here with everybody because, you know, there's just like, there's social obligation. You just can't do it. You can't get here with everybody, and you can't force this. And yet, this right here is so incredibly significant and powerful. Uh, and it's interesting because as, you, as, you, uh, as, as I'm reading this Four Loves book, it talks about how the ancients were so obsessed with this because this felt natural. Like, um, there's something biological about this one uh, that you find yourself attracted to somebody, that it does something to you physically, like your face begins to blush, you just find yourself like creating excuses to walk by their desk 12 times a day. There's, there's all kinds of things that you just don't have any choice over, right? You're just, I'm, for whatever reason, I'm drawn to him, I'm drawn to her, etc. cetera, all right? This one, uh, you begat this child, so therefore, you didn't have all that much choice in that. This one, though, has choice involved. You get to kind of choose. This now it happens to you, and sometimes friends just fall into your lap, and you didn't really choose them. But, but in a sense, um, in, in a sense, this for them was the height, which is interesting because in our culture it works the opposite way, right? Uh, typically, it goes: your marriage is most important, then your kids, and then kind of everything else. And if you have time for friendships, and everybody who's married knows, like I give my priority to my spouse, and then my kids, and then if I have anything left over, and we all assume and we treat it as that. Well. I want him to have friends. I mean, I don't want him to be, you know, I want her to have friends, so go out and do your thing, but make sure it's only one night a week because we're busy, you know? Um, and so we make these, like, general concessions. So in our culture, this has kind of received, like, a lower level of, I don't know, importance, right? Because you want to make sure that these two things are right, and then we'll work on, on the third one. But it's interesting because in, in, the, uh, in, in the other cultures, in, in ancient culture, this was prioritized over these. You put up with these, and this was, like, the, the, the fruit of life, like, really good friendships. And perhaps, um, uh, and, and another thing, too, uh, about... Uh, movies, books, media, about stories that we generally receive in culture. There are so many books and movies on this, isn't there? Like, I feel like if you go to a theater, there's going to be, out of the eight movies that are currently shown in whatever theater, three or four of them are probably some sort of a love story. There's even some affection ones. Like, there's, we just watched uh, that beautiful boy movie, like this father who's got this son who's going through this, like, uh, addiction thing. I showed the trailer a few weeks ago. I felt obligated to go see the movie um, because I showed the trailer to you, and it was so good. So anyways, that, we, we love that, and we watch that, and you, if, especially if you're a parent, you sit there and you watch this dad trying to deal with the son who's throwing his life away and realizing, like, I can't control him. And you're like, oh, and you're sitting in the theater hoping that nobody you know is around, that kind of thing, all right? So you're drawn to affection. We're, we're drawn that way. Not a lot of movies on friendship. Now, I will say um, it feels like um, if there is a thing on friendship, it's typically about war, sports, or surviving high school, all right? Um, so there's, there are plenty of those movies because it feels like, my, my wife and I always joke about, like, a World War II plot, like, how many books and movies have been made about World War II, and it's, like, almost automatically, we, we always joke about, like, imagine the people who have to, like, pitch an idea and how quickly it's accepted by the producer or the movie department that's, like, going to hire this thing. So, you know, it's, like, sitting in this room, like, all right, picture this. 1942, Germany. Oh, I'm listening. I'm in. You know what I mean? Like, automatically, they're like, oh, so great. It's the difference between, like, all right, 1970, Kennewick, Washington. You're like, okay, where are you going with this? This is going to be a tough sell. All right. That's way sidetracked. There are plenty of movies on, on uh, the, the movies that centralize on this 
are the movies like, remember 300 that came out a few years ago with the Spartans and, and uh, Saving Private Ryan? All these war movies where these, these, um, these, these men are fighting together on the front lines and the friendships that develop because of a common cause, right? Or a sports movie where all, we're all you know, going and playing against the team. Or some sort of surviving, uh, like Mean Girls, we, we're, surviving. We're, all su- we're all suffering. <laughs> I, didn't, I didn't think that was that funny because it's surviving high school, right? Have I not seen Mean Girls recently enough? Okay. Um, we're all suffering together for, uh, against something. We, we are getting through this, and it's going to be our camaraderie and our, our uh, companionship that's going to be the thing that we drive on, and, that, and, and we have something to talk about that's out there, right, that's kind of like awesome. So to help illustrate this for you, uh, yesterday I tried something new for me. Um, it's called CrossFit. I don't know if you've heard of this. Um, uh, I did my very first CrossFit, and I, I found out I'm contractually obligated to talk about CrossFit if you do CrossFit, because everybody else talks about the fact that they do CrossFit, and it's in the paperwork. When you sign it, you're like, you promise that you will talk about it to your friends. All right, I'll initial there. Fine. I, I guess I'll do it tomorrow. Um, and we know it. We've seen it enough. Uh, to know that it, for some reason, has kind of taken off in the past, I don't know how many, four, five, six, seven, probably, you guys who do CrossFit a lot are like, <laughs> it's been longer than that, Brent, right? Whatever. Anyways, we know it's successful. They keep adding these boxes, and, and then I, uh, it was a free one yesterday, and then I was like, hey, that was kind of fun, and then I went and looked at the price, and I was like, oh, okay, here we go. Um, so is the reason for their success because they have figured out a sequence of workouts nobody else has done before? No. Um, Do they have access to patented equipment that my gym currently lacks that I have a membership to? No. Um, Our wad yesterday, which is (laughs) CrossFit speak for workout of the day. Sorry, guys, if you're not into it. Um, Our... Our wad uh, was 12 calories on a rowing machine. Uh, nines, I'm just giving this away. I'm probably giving away proprietary information. I'm sorry, CrossFit, who knows. Nine squats, six push-ups, three modified pull-ups. It's supposed to be pull-ups. I did modified, it doesn't matter. <laughs> That's, that, was, that was it. I could do that. At, I could do that at my house almost, guys. I don't need to go there to do that sort of thing. Um, and therein lies the problem, though. I don't. I could do that at my gym, but I don't. And the reason that I don't is because their business model is very, very clear. We do not sell you access to patented equipment or information on workouts that you don't let you, like, we just discovered this and it's going to change your life. What they sell, clearly, is community. What they sell is a sense of belonging. What they sell is when you show up, you're going to have people who are going to push you, drive you, whatever. We suffer together for the same goal. And what is that goal? Here's the goal. We want our t-shirts to fit the way the instructor's t-shirt fits. That's what we want. I want my t-shirt to look like that t-shirt. Because when I wear that exact same t-shirt, it doesn't look as good. Corners are a little bit more rounded. Something happens here. It's not that hard. Check that. It is hard to make our t-shirts look like that. It's not hard to see why CrossFit works. Now, is this, is all of this a commercial for CrossFit? Maybe. Whatever. 
But we crave connection, we crave belonging. It does something to us. We see it, we feel it. We do things that we wouldn't normally do. We put ourselves in positions. We, we, we find ourselves to be more disciplined. We're better versions of ourselves, or at least we think we are. All of these things come because of a sense of belonging, friendship, companionship. Why? Because we're suffering together for a, a central cause. And there are friendships that develop into things, and there are friendships that turn into eros relationships as a result of that sort of stuff. But a lot of times they start right here. And it's a connection that sometimes can even go beyond romantic attraction. It's as if the phrase at the beginning of Genesis, it is not good for man to be alone, goes beyond just, oh, he should have a wife, she should have a husband. It's as if something different, that that phrase right there, it's not good for people to be alone, can work on so many different multiple levels. So, uh, the problem with our culture um, is, though we crave this connection, we crave this belonging, though we want those types of relationships, um, we oftentimes settle instead for lesser forms of those things. Those things are difficult to come by. Perhaps um, we uh, value this. We, we, in our culture, remember I said that we value, like in priority, it kind of works down like this. Uh, perhaps the reason that we value this less is because so few of us have actually truly experienced this, or it's been several years, or you could point to and you could say, my best friend now lives elsewhere. We were so good for so long, and then job transfers and life and all that kind of stuff, and just really haven't made that connection here. Now, I've moved to the Tri-Cities. I'm kind of new in the area. I'm trying to get to know people. They're somewhat friendly, but it feels like this kind of friendly, and I haven't quite found this kind of friendly, and I definitely haven't found this kind of friendly. Um, so how do I what do I do with this? And so um, because these can be difficult um, and they're not like ubiquitous in life, then we settle for a couple of things. One, we settle for digital friendships. Digital friendships, um, that, you know what those are. I mean, that's just like the online stuff. Um, and the problem with these that we know, you've heard me talk about this. I, I'm just kind of rehashing things that, again, you already know, that self-disclosure flows in only one direction. I get to curate what it is that you see in my life. Um, I get to curate um, all the things that I want you to see about me that think about me. Not only that, though, here's the, here's the worst part. Not the worst, but I don't know. It's different. We curate what we hear from you as well. If your life begins to get messy uh, and you're suffering through a breakup and you post this long, I had to click see more to hear all about this stuff, you know what I'm going to do? I'm, I'm not going to click see more. I'm going to click sad emoji and communicate that I read through this and I'm really feeling for you without actually having to deal with your mess. Sorry, that's just real. Uh, and so I can't do that when you're in my house sitting across from me in a chair and we're having coffee together or we're out to lunch or doing all these things. I can't be like mute, sad emoji, scroll through other things while you're talking. That's really uh, mean, right? But when in the digital world, I get, to, I get way more control. I get to control the narrative going out, and I get to control the narrative coming in. And as a result, we don't really deal with the mess, and we don't really, um, we, we, we uh, yeah, we, we just avoid. Uh, number two is the idea of transactional relationships. Um, we settle for these as well. Transactional relationships Real friends see each other as long-term companions and give to each other the rare gift of long-term loyalty. And instead of using each other, they serve each other. But in transactional relationships, we treat each other as a means to an end. It treats people more as resources than human beings. We use them to advance our careers, build our platforms, gain access to their social circles, impress other people, and so on. And the problem with this one is that we always evaluate it in cost-benefit ratio, right? As long as it's beneficial for me to 
be around you or known by with you or whatever, then the cost of being your friend is is uh, is worth it's worth it. So I'm going to do it. And then as soon as it's not really worth it anymore, uh, then I stop returning your texts and stop returning your phone calls. And and you've had those friends, and you didn't realize it was shallow until after they stopped returning the phone calls, and you realize, oh, jerks. And and um, and it's all it's their fault, and yada yada yada. And we uh, we know that, but. We, we've settled for this, and we've, we've said that this is enough for us, that a digital friendships or transactional friendships are enough for us. But uh, perhaps, perhaps what I'm trying to do is hopefully point you towards realizing that that level of real friendship, that friendship looks different, that it's worth fighting for, that there's something different about this, that it's appealing. And, and, and not even like, but not as good as like Eros lovers type of friendship. Like there, it's, it's, a, it's a different ballgame, but it's just, as, it's just as meaningful in this way. Lovers are always talking to one another about their love. Have you noticed that friends hardly ever talk about their friendship? Isn't it weird? <laughs> Lovers write notes to each other, I love you, and I remember the, you know, the day that you, and you do all this stuff. Have you ever, have you found it incredibly awkward to talk to your friend about your friendship? I'm so glad we're friends. It's like, what's wrong with you? What are you, why are we talking about this? Can we just watch the Cougs game together? I mean, this is weird. You're such a great friend. Like, girls are better at this than the guys, I think, but in, there, are, there are some people that are better at this than others, but like for us, it feels weird to talk about this thing that we have. My best friend lives in Indianapolis right now. Um, when he moved, um, you know, like I know it's coming, the moving truck's at the house, I helped him load some stuff up, and then when he left, it wasn't like I went into this long soliloquy about, no matter the distance, <laughs> could you imagine? Uh... That would be so weird. But when you're in love, you write these songs, you write these poems, and, uh, you know, you're this tough shell of a person, but then you soften up in this area. And it's just so different when it comes to friendships. I, the day that he left, I was like, see, man, high five, handshake, something like that. It was as if he was going home to Richland, and then I'll see you Friday, or it's church on Sunday, or something like that. Um... In friendships, when something, when something comes up and somebody needs something from you, uh, in friendships, in true deep friendships, I want to be the kind of person that can provide for you, but I, I don't have, there's like not the affection like I owe it to you because you're my child and I, I want you to make sure you have shoes to wear, right? Um, and it's more than kindness or charity, it's, it's something more than that. I'm more likely to do something for you, but when I do something for you in that way, I don't really want to talk about it. Have you ever done something nice for a friend, and then they say, hey, thanks, much, yeah, you know, thanks, and you're like, don't mention it. And you're like, you really mean, please, don't ever bring this up again. Because I don't want you to feel like I did this out of obligation or quid pro quo. I do this for you, you do this for me later. There's none of that owing thing. It's just like, you had a need. I have resources. Let's take care of this, and let's get back to being 
a friend again. I really, I don't want to talk about it anymore. And C.S. Lewis talks about a friendship in this way. He says that, that lovers often um, uh, talk about their love again, which friendship, friends never do. Uh, and lovers are face-to-face as they do this, um, eye-to-eye or whatever. Uh, friends are often side-by-side looking at something. There's always an object out there. That that's, that's the thing that connects us, that we do this hobby, this thing, this activity, this war that we're suffering through, uh, this high school that we're trying to survive, this class that we're together with, this, this teacher and she and idiot, so, you know, all this kind of stuff. We, we do this together, and it's the thing that keeps kind of this going. And, often, and, and sometimes when that thing goes away, when you graduate high school, then those, that's the reason these friendships disappear is because you never had this object um, the, or the object didn't continue to op- operate in this way, which can make it, I, I know it can make it feel like, oh, well, it's just shallow, then it's just based on one, one little thing. Yeah, but there's, there's just something about side by side looking at that going, um, we're doing this together, that, that we can talk about this, and it doesn't have to go weirdly romantic, and I don't have to provide for you, but there's just like something there, that there's the companionship that makes it worth while the common phrase that is a sure sign of a blooming friendship is this. You too? You too? You? I had no idea. I thought I was the only one. It's looking at something and saying, this is a value to you too? This means something to you? Emerson was this poet. He wrote, do you, uh, do you see the same truth as me in this object, in this thing? Now, we don't have to agree. We don't have to, def- you know, we don't have to have the same answer, but does it mean something similar to you? I want to read through a passage in of the book of John. John, John was one of Jesus' disciples. In fact, one of his like, like top three, basically. Uh, Peter, James, and John, those are the inner circle three. Um, John wrote his gospel story, which is like uh, his version of the life and the teaching of Jesus last after Mark, uh, Matthew, Mark, and Luke. Uh, in fact, several years after. It was, it was almost like he's like, These, those are great. Those are like really great historical details. I want to tell you like a really more personal version of this. Um, and so John, re- John reads differently than those three, although all four are considered to be gospel stories. Anyways, um, because it's so personal, he includes an incredible part of the narrative about Jesus having one of his final conversations with his disciples. It shows up in chapter 15, uh, on your Bible on your phone or at home or whatever. But in John chapter 15, Jesus is talking about the current, their current status. Um, he's already gone and invited them to follow him. He's gone through and done plenty of miracles and plenty of teaching. He knows what's coming. In fact, in a couple of chapters later, he's going to do this audible prayer that John records that talks about how all of these things are happening and my my prayers that this does not split or divide you, but that you stay solid and unified together and carry out this mission by which you were called that you didn't even know you were called for to go and exp- expand this mission to the rest of the world. So, and then, and then he goes to the garden, and he prays that in the garden of Gethsemane, and, and then the guards come and he's arrested, trial, all that kind of stuff that we know about Easter. So this is, this is pre that, and it's to, to try and illustrate the context for you. Um, imagine that you got hired by a like family-owned business or a small enough business where it's not like, you know, when, when they call a corporate meeting, like an all-hands-on-deck meeting, they got to like rent out the track or something like that. They're like, no, let's meet in the conference room or like something small, right? And 
perhaps the business is, you know, selling out. Perhaps it's going bankrupt. Perhaps there's a big major decision. There's a big merger taking place. Or maybe the top brass is like leaving. They took another job. And so there's a transition that's coming. Um, and so it's, it's, one of those, it's one of those meetings where emotions are running high. Things are going to be said in this meeting that are not typically said elsewhere. Friendship is talked about when we're like, we don't talk about that. We're not supposed to talk about friendship, right? Um, that's what's going on with this. Uh, it's as if the boss at your work started the conversation by saying, when we started this thing, we hired you as employees. But we've worked together for X amount of years now, and now I see you all as family or friends. Like, I know that you work for me. I know that I sign your paychecks. But the quality of the relationship between boss, manager, and employee, that, that line is like, like a healthy form of fuzzy, Right? Um, and I care about you, and I want to provide, I, I recognize that as I'm writing this check, I'm not just giving you money, I'm like providing for your family so that you can live, and, and, and I, I want to make sure that you get a, a good living, decent wage, and all of that. Imagine, imagine that type of a setting. That's, that's what's going on with this. We're going to read this together, um, and I want you to read it in, in that lens, because I think that's what's happening. Uh, John 15, verse 11 through 17. This comes from the message version of the text, but it really reads similar in all different versions, so whatever you have is fine. I've told you these things for a purpose, that my joy might be your joy and your joy wholly mature. This is my command, love one another the way that I have loved you. This is the very best way to love. Put your life on the line for your friends. You are my friends when you do the things I command you. I'm no longer calling you servants, because servants don't understand what their master is thinking and planning. No, I've named you friends because I've let you in on everything that I've heard from the Father. What's he doing here? There was one day a few years ago, you guys remember, I sat on a seaside like this seashore thing, and I saw you out in your boats and you were fishing. And I said, follow me, and I'll make you fishers of men. You didn't even know what that meant. And there was something about the way that I said it or the, maybe the mood that you were in that day or something. For whatever reason, you said, I'm in. And you left it. Matthew, one day I showed up at your tax collector's booth and you were counting your money and you were getting ridiculously wealthy, but you didn't really have, there was probably something in you that really felt like is really accumulation of stuff, is that all there is to this life? And for whatever reason, when I said, follow me, you left everything and you followed me. And at that moment, you were my disciples. And they knew what that work looked like. In that culture, every rabbi had disciples. You applied for like an internship to a different rabbi, and then he would teach you and do all that. So he, he's working with the format of the day. And he's basically saying, when we started this thing, you were my interns, you were my followers, you were my disciples. And today I'm calling you my friends. And the reason I am is because we see things the same way. You see things the way that I see them. You see them as I've let you in on everything that I've heard from the Father. Verse 16, you didn't choose me. Remember, I chose you, and I put you in the world to bear fruit, fruit that won't spoil. As fruit bearers, whatever you ask the Father in relation to me, he gives you. But remember the root command, to love one another. It's as if Jesus is looking at these guys saying, you said yes to my invitation. And I think it was because you were going through life wondering if there was something more. 
that there was a dissatisfaction. There's no reason for you to leave a career, especially a career where family's involved and you're going to be disappointing family, and you did it for something. And we have suffered through three years of traveling without really any home base to go to. A lot of times there wasn't any money to do. I mean, it wasn't like you didn't do this because of all of the fame and the fortune in, are involved in this. You don't even know this, but some of you, most of you, are going to die for what you believe. So what is the object... What is the thing that's out there that you and I both see together? I called you in first in this different format, but now we become friends. And that friendship means that, that friendship, friendships are formed because we share a common interest or common value system or we see something the same way. Do you see this, the, truth, the, the same truth that I do? And here's what he's saying. You're seeing a world that is broken. You're seeing a religious system that is broken. You're seeing something that is wrong with the world. And all of a sudden, you're seeing things the same way that I am. You're seeing things that have been revealed to you from your heavenly father, that the root, what do you say? The root command to love one another. You are seeing in the same way that I'm seeing something that we truly think can change the world. And we are going to suffer together through what this means and what this looks like. And that is going to be the thing that is going to bind us together, that is going to keep this friendship alive. And the beauty of this is this doesn't go away. This isn't like high school that you graduate from, and now you're in college, and you develop college friends, and then you graduate, and you go into career, and, the, and all of those things kind of fade and fizzle, and you go through life. And you're going to develop friendships, and that's fine. You should find those in every season of your life. And what he's saying in this moment is, my followers will be bound together by one root command, that we will look forward and discern a way to perceive the world and a way to change the world that actually works, a way to do it that says, perhaps the best way is to love one another. Two, put your life on the line for your friends, to do the things, you are my friends when you do the things that I command you to do. You've seen the way that I've loved. Our shared interest is the one thing that can change the world. So, listen. Today, the point of all of this was I want you to see the value of friendships. I want you to identify, uh, even for you as you're going through and being like, okay, friend, those, these kind of friendships, that's a different category. That's worth investing time into. That's, worth, that's different. I treat those things differently. I should value those things. I should even sometimes bring it up, but not too often because I'm not supposed to talk about my friendships with my friends, but that's fine. Every once in a while I can because it's healthy and it's, 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 a, part of, it's a part of my growth. But then even, even beyond that, like what is, the church has always considered itself a fellowship, a, uh, the Greek term is koinonia, or uh, an, uh, a family together. Uh, about what? About looking forward and believing Jesus when he says that God has informed me and you together. We know this, that the best way to move forward with this, the root command is discover what it means to love one another. So we are going to go into that kindness and what that would mean to love one another. I felt like it would be important to consider the backdrop for that before we get into this. So it's not like this just encouragement, hey, let's just be better people. The thing that binds us, for those of you who call yourself Christians, into the capital C church, not just Eastlake, but the church, is this shared common thing out there. We stand beside, we suffer through all of the different things competing for our time or whatever and our value systems to say, 
we feel like the call from God to love one another is the thing that can change the world. And we want to be a part of that. And next week, we will discern a little bit about what it looks like to befriend people who we would normally be tempted to avoid, and we do it together. Because we're all friends, but I'm not supposed to talk about it. Let's pray. Father, uh, we ask that you would help us to uh, discern the friendships in our life and to really place a high value. And perhaps this week is one of those um, inspiring things to, uh, to say thank you maybe to those individuals who we love in that friendship sort of way. Maybe it's to you that you would create this, um, this sort of avenue, this, this way of orienting our life in this, in, in this way, that there's something beyond uh, child rearing and, and sort of spousal love or, or romantic love, um, but uh, that you would drive us to be uh, better friends. And to be kind, yes, absolutely, but to also see within this uh, friendship thing that you've called us to, a call to love one another, to give ourselves up for one another. Give us the wisdom to know what that looks like in our life. The courage to act on it in your name. Amen.